see all our podcasts from this series and actually all the podcasts that we've done for I don't know. Where's Jean? She sat down. Yeah, where's so Jean? It's been Jean about knew. three, four years we've been. No, it's longer than that. Longer? Really? Yeah. We That's have, right. We started when Terry yeah. was still with so us. So we have a few hundred podcasts up there. And everything wow. you would ever want to know about relational care <laughs> and some things you probably don't want to know is <laughs> is there um, on the site. So um, so we're grateful. Um, we've, we've had a lot of response from people uh, around the country and stuff that have kind of tuned in. So we're just grateful and humbled for that and just humbled that you guys would be here today. So with that, we will pray. So Father, we just thank you. Um, we thank you for who you are, who you truly are, which is a loving father, uh, a father that um, taught us how to love first so that we would know even what love looked like mm -hmm. and um, how to love others. And so, yes. Father, we're just praying because, Lord, we are, as human beings, um, Father, unfortunately, um, we don't really, we don't treat each other well. Father, actually, to be quite honest with you. And so we need a God like you. We need a Father like you to teach us, to show us how to live this life, how to be good, um, how to be good to you and good and uh, witness goodness through you and how to be good to each other. So we thank you for all those who are in the class. Father, we just pray um, that our hearts and minds will be open today yes, to receive sir. what you have for us. And that, Father, that we could take some of these things and to impress them upon our hearts so that we can be the people that you really created us to be. So we thank you, Father, and we just ask you that uh, your spirit will be with us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so without doing a, um, a review of what we've been teaching the last few weeks, when we talk about relational seeds, what we're really saying is that when people say something or speak into our lives, many times that has a way of being deposited into our hearts. If you look at uh, Matthew, the 13th chapter, where Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, and he talked about the word of God being planted. And as it was being planted, um, in some places, weeds uh, came up and choked the word. In some places, it didn't take root. But in other places, it took root. And it, um, it created a harvest. So with that concept, what we're talking about from relational seeds is, and we've talked about previously, is what we believe about ourselves. And many times what we believe about ourselves is what people have said about us, what situations and circumstances have said that have caused us to believe things about ourselves that don't line up with the word of God. So we use many examples. Um, you know, it's like a child growing up and somebody says, you know, you're lazy, you'll never amount to anything. Well, that's a seed that gets planted in a child's heart. As that child grows, they continue to water that and that becomes their belief system. They believe that that's who they are. And as they believe that, their behaviors dictate that. So really, that's really what we've been talking about. And so we've gone on this journey of, let's look at who we have believed ourselves to be. And let's look at that in light of who God says we are. 
Because if we're going to live the relational lives that God wants us to live, if we're going to have the kind of relationships with God and we're going to have the kind of relationships we need with others, we have to get a grounded sense of who we were created to be, not who we think we are, not who society says we are, not even who we believe that we are, but who God says we are. So we've made a statement in this class that says that the only person that has the right and the authority to tell you who you are is the one that has created you. So with that premise, we begin to go on this journey of looking at ourselves, looking at what we believe who we are, and we look at that in light of who God says we are. And what that does is it helps to, sh to begin to shift us to have a right view of who we are. So we can begin to start changing some of those lies that we believed about ourselves, okay? And so last week, what we did was we began to start talking about, okay, who does God say that we are, right? And who do we believe God is? Because that's super critical to begin to really have a right understanding about who we are and who God really is. And we talked about many times in the church, we've grown up with this God that as much as we hear the idea of unconditional love, what we have done is we've actually looked at God as a God that has conditional love, right? So if we do all the things that we're supposed to do, we read the Bible and we pray and we do all these things, we come to church and we live at the church and we do all these things, and somehow God is, then God is really, really happy with us because we have this Christian checklist and we check all these things off. But now we run into places where we don't live up to what we think God's expectations of us are, or even what our own expectations are, then we believe that somehow or another, now we come under God's judgment. Okay. That's not unconditional love. That's conditional love. Right. 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 So again, it's that's also it's a conditional relationship. Yeah. It's all a conditional relationship, right? So, and then again, like Gene said, so if we do all these things, then we have these expectations of God, right? So if I do all these things, then I expect that my life should be good and perfect, and nothing nothing should go wrong, and everything should go right because I'm doing all these things. Can I add to that? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, many of you were not here when Alex and I exchanged glasses in this series. And we talk about our perception and being really aware of trying to get a sense of how we see the world. And oftentimes what we're thinking is going on when God doesn't give us what it is we're looking for even though we tell ourselves God loves us unconditionally, is really because of our perspective. It's really because we have a marred sense, meaning damaged sense of who he is. And then there are certain things that happen that we tend to ignore. And the fact really is that as we continue to grow, literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we begin to 
become deeper and deeper aware. Hopefully there's a deeper awareness of the fact that life has consequences. Unfortunately, we often put the fact that we're suffering as a result of consequences on God. And then we judge God as not being loving or as not being gracious or as not being full of mercy. Yet, as we were reminded for those of us who attended service this weekend, and I hope you did, that God gave us all choice. So how do we go from where we've been thinking that, I'll borrow an example, and if you don't know what it means, listen to the podcast. How do we go from seeing Santa Claus upside down to seeing Santa Claus's face as being right side up with his eyes where the eyes should be, and nose where the nose should be, and lips where the lips should be? And are we willing even to be challenged by either our own thoughts and recognizing that something is off or be challenged by the word of God to say there's something I'm missing about who you say you are versus how I have been experiencing you and allow myself to be corrected in any way that I need to be corrected. I mean, I need to go to Kaiser and get these glasses re-examined because I'm not seeing right. I might need Alex's prescription so that I can see God the way that he intends for me to see him, the way that he has expressed himself, not only to me, but to all of us. I might need to be around other people who have been in this relationship thing with him longer or have gone through some things and have come out the other side and lean on them and say, hey, help me because I'm, I know I'm broken here. I don't exactly know where or how, but God desires more for us than we desire for ourselves. There's, there's a part of us that he is, I mean, there's everything about us that he's fully aware of, but there's a part of us that is only partially aware of who he says we are. And so what we want to do today is talk about strategic word planting. So part of this starts with having a true perspective of who God is because many times um, the issue is if our perspective on God is skewed or false then we're building a relationship with God based on false assumptions and we have plenty of that that goes on in the world today because many times we want to see God in a way that we want him to be and not who he really is. Okay. And so, again, if we don't see that, then it's hard for us to build 
true intimacy with God because we're basing our intimacy with God based on a false set of assumptions. Okay. So let's just take a scripture and take a look at this and, and so that we can get a better idea of this. When you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew 22:37, and it is the, um, it is a scripture that we use in this church all the time. It's on the wall. It's on all our literature. And we condense it down and we say, loving God and loving people. Okay. So if we're talking about relational care, and we said last week, God's a relational God. He created us in love for love. That's very important to get down. He created us in love for love. So with him being love, because the Bible says God is love. So now if we are asked from a, let's just get practical. So if somebody comes up to you and says, okay, well, this is what God asked from you. He wants you to love him and he wants you to love others as yourself, which we'll get to that in a minute. So you may say, okay, well, that's great. How do I do that? And it is, how do you do that? Because I know I've been on a crazy week this week. Because I started off, I have like one coworker who's, you know, hey, my dad shot my mom when I was little. And I had to be the one who called the police, right? Mm. And it's like, but yet, then you have the ones like, you know what? I was molested by my uncle. So, you know, and it's like, well, who was God at when I needed him the most? And then, you know, yesterday I had to put my dog down. So, you know, it's kind of like, I'm thinking positive, you know, all dogs go to heaven. But, you know, it's just like a, it's been a vicious week for a lot of people. And just thinking, and I think like sometimes, especially this time of year, when the holidays roll around, people are supposed to be like, everybody's supposed to be like, tis the season, joy, happy. What do we have to give thanks for? And then it's like, well, where's the thankfulness? And the kids are being shot down in the streets. And, you know, so I think that's like sometimes a lot of people just start turning their back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a real, that's real. Mm-hmm. Very much something that if we're not dealing with it personally, like you've had a rough week right now, we are called, we're going to be in that space at some point. And it is difficult. But a lot of it has to do with how we process pain and what our capacity is even going into whatever the situation is, right? You're already doing good things. Like you said, you're trying to think positive. You're, you're, you're trying to hold on to that, right? But at the same time, you recognize that some of your ability to do that is being worn away by the stresses of the things that are coming at you. And it's, it's weird because at one point I'm like, I want to be there, I want to be helpful, very supportive. And mm-hmm. then I got people, that's not your problem, why are you taking it on? But I'm like, clearly this person needed someone to talk to, so I'm going to reach out to them. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm supposed to do, just leave them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I want you to know that we see your heart. And we are grateful that you care like God cares. That's the first thing. We see your heart. 
And if you weren't there, it could be a different story for some of those people. But we're so glad, we are glad in this class that you are an ear. And I'm sorry for the pain that it has added to your cup because it has put even more on you than what you were dealing with in your own self, in your own personal and private circumstances. I'm really sad for you that you've had to go through that this week, including having your dog be put down. That's very, very painful. Can I give you a hug? And you are being a servant of God. You are being a servant of Christ. Jean? <coughs> It's rough. Yes. Yes. Isolation. And the bright spot, the shining star, the guiding light was Christ's birth. And I never really thought of, yeah, I know Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place in the end. But the bigger picture, life was horrible. Life was horrible. Why do we as Christians think, because our distorted perspective, mm -hmm. perspective, because of what the world has taught us, mm -hmm. because of what the church has taught us, um, the church global, not the bed, um, it's never been pretty. Yeah, it never, it's never, been it's never, it never has been. And I, it's interesting you bring that up because um, <clears throat> We're going to be done with this series in a couple of weeks. And the Lord impressed on me this morning, and I mentioned it last week, um, about looking at that baby in the manger completely different from the way that the world looks at it. And Gene is right. The, the circumstances, you know, we all know the Christmas story. The circumstances and the barn and the filth and the, all that, but God in that baby was doing something that I don't think that we have even, because of all the Christmas stuff and, oh, okay, well, you know, joy and happiness and lights and gifts, that I don't think we've ever really stopped to look at the fullness of what that baby in that manger really represents. Because if we did, it would change everything. And that doesn't negate all the pain and the suffering and and this God that that could have come in a palace but he decided to come in a horse barn and why didn't that Adam and Eve were created uh, uh, full adults right God could have done that with Jesus, but he didn't. And why didn't he? There's a whole, there's a whole story there. So we'll see how that goes anyway, in, in terms of doing that. But I want to get back to this, this teaching here. Um, because the practicality, again, about it is 
God asks us to love him. And so the question was, how do we do that? And all that we've heard, in all our pain, in all our suffering, and all the suffering is going on around us, and God says, I want you to love me. How do we even begin to do that? I know if I was somebody that came in and I just accepted Christ and somebody says, okay, well, the greatest commandment that God gave was to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's really great words. That sounds really good and it sounds really spiritual, right? How do I even begin to do that? And that's where the rubber meets the road. How do we do that? The way we do that is we need to realize 1 John 4.19 says, we loved because he first loved us. You and I don't have a clue as how to love somebody. We talked about it. We grew up in a home. We grew up in a home that was based on unconditional love. <clears throat> if we grew up in a home that didn't have love at all. Now I turn around and ask you, to love, you can look at me like I'm speaking Greek. How am I supposed to do that? I, that was never shown me. And if I was shown any love, that love was conditional. You do this, do this, do this, do that, do all those different things, and then I'll love you. But if you don't, then I'm not. And then we carry that into our relationship with God, right? We don't really see who God really is, we see God based on the love that we've experienced. So again, how do we do that? The only way that we do that, the only way we can do that, if we, we have got to experience the unconditional love that God had for us. And that's not easy. Because we bring all our stuff, all our garbage, all the stuff we know about the world, and we say that it's not possible for this God to love me unconditionally. I know what the word says. I've heard it preached a thousand times. And I, and I hear you, because remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between what we know and what we believe. Because see, I can know that God loves me unconditionally. Do I believe it? If I believed it, it would dictate my behavior. That's why many times I say I know that God loves me, but it's not played out in my behavior. And this is the reality in where we live in. Okay, we need to get off the spiritual high horse for a little bit and start talking about reality. How do I do that? I'm in a marriage. How am I supposed to love my wife unconditionally? I've got kids. How am I supposed to love them unconditionally? I got a neighbor across the street I can't stand, but I read the word and the word says I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Here's the other thing about that. I don't even know if I love myself. But then Jesus says, right, Jesus says that I'm supposed to love you the way I love myself. Well, God, the reality is I don't love myself because I see all the bad parts about myself and I don't love those. So how am I supposed to love the other person? And you're telling me to love them as myself. How am I going to do that? So is he in line with scripture? Hmm? So is that person in line with scripture? And the scripture says to love thy neighbor as thyself. If I hate myself, then it's okay if I hate your neighbor. 
Absolutely. We're not in line. Most of We're us live our lives not in line with that word, with that simple, the, just that one verse out of the whole kit and caboodle. We live assuming that we are loving others. We live on the premises Joseph has brought out and, and Jean has brought out with the, with the premise that we know what love is because the world teaches us brotherly love, eros love, which is sexual love, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, whatever other kind of love that there is, right? There's so many different loves. But the Greek has this five different loves in Greek, and God emphasizes one of them. He, the kind of love he has for us is a love that we don't even have an English word for. Mm -hmm. We have to add on a whole bunch of adjectives to try to unconditional. Well, okay, so what is, I kind of love my kid unconditionally, you know I mean? Because, you know, I did carry him for nine months, right? There's, you know, there's only so much, right, that can happen. I mean, I could be really, really mad at him. I may not even be speaking to my kid, right? I may be so mad at my kid, but they're still my kid, and I know that they're my kid, right? But that doesn't mean that I love my kid the way God loves us. It's, it's a love that is like Joe and Gina bringing out. If we were to sit and really meditate on what God has given us, it's completely out of this world. It's, it's almost unfathomable. And what we can do is we can stretch to try to apprehend it. Because he says in, in Hebrews, my phone went to sleep when I looked it up, he's calling us to accept what he's saying about love. If, if Are we going to take that invitation that we can accept what he's saying, because that's where it starts, because I don't have anything else I can use to compare it to. I, can't, I don't. Let me add the scripture. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If I can accept that he loves me unconditionally, and I can be like, God, I don't really fully know, honest, just honest. God, I don't really fully know what that means because I've never had anyone that loved me without condition. And, and, and I kind of think I see conditions in your word. I, I, I see conditions there. But God, I want to try to understand. If we would be able to at least take that step, he can begin to unfold all kinds of things, including the understanding and illuminate to us the things that we see as conditions, but that are really consequences that he is trying to save us from. So here's the only way. That you can get a grasp on that. And it has to be by faith. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. Right. It can be because of your feelings, mm -mm. right? Because, oh, let's face it, our feelings are so fickle, my feelings can change in the next five minutes. You know? It's like marriage, right? We get, oh, we just feel, so I'm a big Hallmark guy. I'm not afraid to say it. Matter of fact, I ordered two more channels. I got four Hallmark channels. <laughs> I've got Christmas 24-7 on four different channels. 
So people are going, you need some psychiatric help. <laughs> okay. But we have to understand that if we're going to accept those things, we've got to accept that love by faith. It's got to be by faith. Because, again, as I was saying about our feelings, our feelings change. Right? You look at Hallmark, and, you know, your boy meets girl, and then there's always, and it's always the same storyline, same plot. That's why Leona looks at me and, you know how this is going to end. You're going to watch 42 of them, and they're all going to end the same way. Right? And I go, yeah, I know. Every once in a while, they throw in a twist. They throw in a twist, you know. but it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> but it's, you know, they have these feelings about each other, and it's great, and the whole world has changed, and now we love each other. We've been looking for each other all our lives, and it always ends at the end. Nobody kisses until the end, and that's when you know it's the end. As soon as they kiss, that's when it ends. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? Yes, there is some conflict. Well, not a lot, but there's some type of confusion with communication. Yes. yes. They've been cleaning that up this yeah. season, I want you to know. Yeah, yeah they're trying to not they're do the conflict. Not, that, the conflict doesn't but, go as long sometimes. But the reason I bring that out is because we all have this idea, right, that then we just sort of go off into the sunset, right, and this couple lives happily ever after, right? And we don't see the dirt, and we don't see the mess. We don't see the hurt, and we don't see the pain, and we don't see the conflict, right? And we don't see that some mornings they get up and go, why did I even ever marry this person, right? This person, I can't stand to be with this person. The reason I bring that up is because love is not about feelings. Because your feelings are fickle. It's about a God that shows us love by what he's willing to sacrifice and what he's willing to commit. Because we talk about, Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? We were all messed up, spitting on him. Gene brought out some facts. We didn't want anything to do with him. And again, so we have to go back and say, okay, well, why did he do that? Because there's a place that he says all they've all they've all together become worthless. Mm -hmm. Now this is God, mm -hmm. and this is what I love about God because you see God in His fullness. Mm -hmm. You see God as you know, you know, not always giving this like regal, but imagine a God that has created these children that He loves so much, and they turn His back on them. Because I know I would say that. Oh my goodness, I did all these for these. Children, and I did this and this and this, and they've become worthless. So he lets us in on his so feelings. So he lets us in on his pain. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about God mm -hmm. feeling pain. pain for us? Mm -hmm. And so in that statement, he's saying they become worthless. They're nothing but lies. All they do is just lies all the time. But yet, yeah, no, he turns around and says his one and only son to die for us. If that doesn't give you a picture of what unconditional love that it just blows your mind, there's not too many things that will. Okay? 
But God shows us that, and then he makes a statement. I want you to love me. So what I'm saying is, in order for us to learn how to love God, to love ourselves, to love others, we had to have that modeled. That's right. And that's the word I'm going to talk to pastor about because he stole my word. <laughs> you have to have that modeled. Okay? If a child is growing up and I want that child to understand what unconditional love is, I can sit down and I can talk to him about unconditional love. He's not going to get it. But if that child has experienced unconditional love because I've modeled that for him, when I ask that child, what is unconditional love? That child's going to go, I know what unconditional love is because my mother or my father or whoever, I saw that in them. They modeled it. So now it becomes, it brings change to my life because now I can say, you know what? Now here I have a blueprint. I have a model. I have a foundation that I can stand on that I can now begin to model my life after. So some of us did not have those models growing up. Some of us, our models were shaky at best, even on just core, core things like um, just how to live, right? Let alone talk about relationally. The beautiful thing about this, what we're talking about, is that it is also found in brain science. Those neural processing pathways can be healed. You're not stuck with whatever the model was or what the model has been up until the point that you hear this or begin to kind of change you know, who you're around because you came to Christ, you're not stuck with what was in the past. That's how amazing God is because he knows, how many know you've read stories or have seen in, 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 in movie form or even on the news about people who have a major accident, they have, they've lost functionality in one area and they develop and cultivate functionality, they're able to use skills in a different area that they didn't have before. And that's because we have a God who is faithful. So where we don't have, hold that thought, where we don't have maybe that type of obvious damage, we may have damage that's not obvious because nobody can see it. It's not physical. But it's, uh, as we learned last night and this morning, a new term, Maybe mental violence. God is able, if we are willing to take him at his word by faith, and if we are willing to partner with him and choose to model ourselves after those who are healthier than we are, to have us build new neural pathways that we will use to process pain, to process all the emotions that we walk through for the rest of our lives. He's literally, you don't have to do 
you do have to do some things, but he's already given our brains the capacity to do that. What we have to do is partner with him to choose this word, to choose the relationships, right? To choose to model ourselves until we get it because it's not something that we can just, I mean, God is able to drop it into our spirits. A lot of times he gives us somebody else to walk it out so we can walk out after them and say, oh, okay, that's what that looks like. Johnny, you had your hand. Uh, I, I know you answered, uh, but because that's what I was thinking, because we come into uh, the part of it, the part about dealing with it, mm -hmm. okay? It's one thing for you to tell me God loves you. Mm -hmm. And you said it when you started. You know, some of us, it wasn't modeled to us. And, you know, people tell you that coming up on the street. Mm -hmm. And once you learn that, you know, what love is and you see it, it takes you back to some of the painful times to where it's like, and I, I, I didn't get that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being loved. Mm -hmm. And then to the point to where it's like, okay, you say God loved me. Why you let that happen? Mm -hmm. And until we're able to deal with those type of things, then it's still just the same. Mm -hmm. You're right. And so what, what I would say to us is that I don't have all the answers, but there are a couple of things that when that happens and we begin to recognize that one, we should grieve the pain. We should grieve the loss. Because if we don't stop and grieve the loss of what we should have had, see, tra that's trauma A. Trauma A, and there's two types of trauma. Trauma A is the absence of what we should have gotten. We don't even have a name for it. I can't name, I can't tell Abba Lorena, who's my friend, what it is I didn't get, because I don't even know what I didn't get until I begin to encounter the word and I begin to encounter families where I'm like, oh my gosh, they, you didn't, have that and I'm seeing what's happening in your family and I'm the Lord is telling me wait a second that's yeah that's kind of what family life should look like and I'm like whoa horsey who okay so that's what I didn't get see not grieving trauma a when I begin to recognize that I have that is going to do more damage to me than I had a major accident and now I can't see out of my eye which is a trauma also, and I'm afraid to get in a car. The one that has the more ability to damage my identity, which is ultimately what we're talking about, walking in my identity, is what I didn't have. So I need to stop and I need to grieve that. I need to say, God, I recognize now that, that, that your desire for me would have been for my family to have been whole, for my family to have been healthy. Let's face it. God gave Adam and Eve everything, like Pastor said, yet they messed up. Why did they mess up? 
they chose. So sometimes the things that happened to us, they weren't our choice. They weren't even maybe even our parents' choice. But somebody else made a choice and it had impact. So first I grieve what I didn't have. I still stay in faith, though, that he loves me and that that was not his best for me. We've lost the capacity in the current state to have all his best readily accessible because of the fall. And I have to recognize and give the blame to where the blame ought to land, right? and not ascribe it to God. That was never God's intention. He didn't create you and I to even die. I mean, there were two trees in the middle of the garden, okay? The one was for, you eat of it, you live. He didn't say don't touch that one. The only one he said not to touch is the one that the enemy brought and said, girl, don't you look at that tree now it want to look good mm. don't you want that tree? come on now you know he's hiding stuff from you mm-hmm. so when we recognize our pain grieve it but at the same time hold on to the truth that yes he does love me he says in his word i will never leave you i'll never forsake you so jesus where were you where were you where were you could you show me where you were Could you help me to see and sense that you were there? I don't even know how you could have been, but your word says you were. And then we can begin to move forward. And I think that Leona has brought us something very, something that we really have to wrestle with because it's very, we tend to blame God. Right? We tend to blame God for the things that we see going on in our world. We tend to blame God for the things that we didn't get. Right? And again, it's very important to realize that God created us with free will. We suffer not only the consequences of our own action, we suffer the consequences of others' action. Okay. It's the same God that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's the same God that says, I wish none would perish. Exactly. And that all will come to repentance. Okay. We talked about it before. God can't speak out of two sides of his neck. Right. He's either got to be the God that wants everybody to be saved, but it's their choice. It's their choice. It's like I've made the statement before. Nobody's in heaven because they have to be. And nobody's in hell because they have to be. Right? We make the choice. Because here's the thing. Love cannot be love if you don't have a choice. It can't be love if I don't have the choice not to love you. And with that, he had to give us the choice to love him or not. But each one has its own consequences. Right? Um, As we're getting ready to wrap up, we didn't even get to... Yeah, we didn't even get to, but that's, you know, that's the Lord. That's perfectly fine. Um, And we've been in this class long enough to know that that's how this class goes, right? But I think it's really important that um, we bring out the second half of the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 39. 
where he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And on the surface, many times we we kind of we kind of read over that, we kind of gloss over that, and we focus on the loving your neighbor. We don't really focus on the as yourself, because that's really important. Because he doesn't say love your neighbor, period. He says love your neighbor as yourself. So when I read that, the obvious inference that I'm getting from that is that Jesus is saying you need to love yourself because mm-hmm. I want you to love this person as you love yourself now when we read that we've got to be gut level honest because we come back to the place okay well I hear what you're saying but I got a whole list of reasons why I am unlovable I am unlovable I got a whole list of reasons why I am unlovable. And you got people backing you up and you got everything in the world that's backing you up that's saying, that's giving you all the reasons that you can. Can I ask a question, Joe? Uh, make it quick because I got to finish what I'm doing. Go ahead. So when I'm doing that and I'm saying there's a whole lot list of reasons why I can't love myself. Who has become God? And I don't need an answer. I just wanted to throw that out. Very good point. Thank you for adding that. That's very good. Right. So we say we say to ourselves, okay, how can we even begin to do that? Because I ask myself that. You know, I read that and I'm going, okay, I know all the dirt in my life. I know all the stuff in my life. I know all the dirt I'm dealing with right now in my life. And you're telling me to love myself so I can go out and love my neighbor. God is telling you to love yourself. It's not based on how you feel about yourself. It's not based on what you've done. Is not based on what you didn't do. He's telling you to love yourself. And I can't find any other places in the scripture that Jesus makes that direct statement in terms of loving your neighbor as yourself. Where he's making that statement of saying, I want you to love yourself. So the question that I ask is I say, okay, well, God, with all the stuff that I've done, with all the stuff that I haven't done, with all the stuff that I want to do and I can't do, how am I supposed to do that? This is how. Because Jesus says that you are valuable enough, that you are loved enough, that you are respected enough, that I came and I died on the cross for you. If I can love you that deeply, that much, and we go back to the baby in the manger. If I can do all that for you, and you look at yourself and say, oh, I'm just totally unlovable, blah, 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 blah. He's saying, I want you to love yourself because you are lovable. You're lovable enough that I came and I died for you. 
So it's not based on what the world tells you. It's not based on what you believe about yourself. It's not it's based like on any is. other thing. Because again, what did I say in the beginning? The one that created you is the one that has the authority to tell you your value, your worth. Mm -hmm. So what you have to start doing is when those thoughts come up, and God, I messed up again. God, I thought those bad thoughts again. God, I should have zigged when I should have zagged. God, I should have done this. I should have done that. God, I should have done the other thing. What I'm telling you that God wants you to know today is that you are lovable just the way you are in your mess, in your failures. What you have to do is you have to start believing it because here's the point. Because when I start believing it, what do we say? Belief starts dictating your behavior. Now I can start loving someone else. Why? Because it's not about what they did or didn't do. It's not about their mess. It's not about their failure. It's not about who they believe they are or who they're not. It's about that same God that went to the cross for you was the same God that went to the cross for her. And so God is saying, your love for her is not based on what she does, what she doesn't do, how pretty she looks, how messed up she looks, how short she is, how tall she is. It's not based on any of those things. Right? It's based on the point that I made you, I created you in love, I created you for love, I love you unconditionally, I want you to love yourself because I want you to see how I see you. And that doesn't mean we walk around and say we're all that in a bag of chips. But what that does is an anchor for the soul. It's an anchor to say, you know what, God? I'm not my best, but you love me anyway. And what that does is it gives me the strength to get up the next day, right? And try over again, right? Because my failures are not being kept record of. My sins are not being kept record of. My shortcomings are not being kept record of. I'm loved solely and you are loved solely because he created you, his DNA's in you, his everything that he created, everything that he wanted was put into you. And you have to believe that. So, as we wrestle with that, are we humble enough to go before him and repent for the lies we have believed about him and about ourselves. Pastor Stephen Furtick um, preached this message called, I Caught a Thought. Are we willing to catch those thoughts that we think about ourselves, about our mate, about our siblings, about our bosses, about our colleagues, 
that are judgments that condemn. They're not discerning, saying, well, this person, you know, is hurt, and so they acted this way. That's that's a discerning thought, but that person ain't right and ain't never going to be right. That's a judgment. Mm -hmm. Are we humble enough to take ourselves off of the throne of deciding that we are unlovable to go to him and repent and ask him to forgive us for not seeing ourselves the way he sees us even though we don't fully know what all that looks like but repentance is the, is the first step because then your lenses can be cleared and you can begin to see and you can begin to see the other one see when Joe and I married before we married I gave up my savings to help him make rent. And I don't say that to put myself puffed, to be puffed up or anything. But I understood, I had a little understanding about what love was. But that did not mean that I loved him the way that God wanted me to love him. Because even after that, and we got married, I loved him enough to tell him off. I loved him enough to throw shoes at him that ended up busting the closet quick. wall. I was quick. I loved him enough to literally be muttering under my breath all day, every day. I loved him enough to cut him down in front of my friends. That, okay, wait a second. I, she loved him enough to give up her entire savings. I was working two jobs so that he could make rent and then I marry him, and then I love him enough to do all these things that are not godlike. I disrespected him, I dishonored him, I disgraced him. And that's how much I loved him. And I was really loving him too. Yes, she was. But when I came to know the Lord, and I realized, or began to, I don't think I fully realize it now. It'll take eternity for me to fully realize how much God loves me. And I allowed the Lord's definition of love to be the gauge and the meter of my life. My identity began to become exposed to me. Mm -hmm. And as I became more aware of who he created me to be, because I am made in his image, I can remove myself from acting like that person, whoever that person was, and begin to act like the person God created me to be, love myself and love him, give him honor, and even be willing to find out what does respect look like to you? so that I would give him the respect that he is due and not give him what I thought was respect because that's the way I define respect. And I had to go on my own journey because trust me, as much stuff as she had, I brought just as much to the table and more, right? Marriage is in 
designed to make you happy, designed to make you holy. And I had to go on my own journey and God had to tear down some stuff in my own self. Because again, this isn't, for me, this wasn't about Leona. This was about my relationship with God and are you going to be the husband that I've called you to be? And that's outside of Leona, right? Because if it's not outside of Leona, what is it? It becomes conditional, right? You know, I'll love you. Hmm? Yeah, and it becomes about Leona. It becomes about Leona, right? And then it's about, okay, well, if Leona does this, this, and that, and she doesn't do this, this, and that, right? Then we got a Hallmark movie going on. <laughs> right? But if it doesn't happen that way, then we got a horror movie going on. Right? And it can't be that. It can't be that. When we're talking about marital relationship, it's more about our individual relationship with God because she becomes the recipient of it. Right? The overflow. She becomes, she receives the overflow. And I receive the overflow. Right? And then God is in the middle, right? Where he's able to do what he wants to do in us together because we've given our lives here first. Right? Father, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord. Help us to hear you more. Help us to hear you clearer. We thank you that you intervened, actually, in this teaching. And you um, gave what you wanted to give in this class. We pray that, Lord, that uh, those that it was intended for would hear. Yes what it is that you would, uh, what you wanted to say. And Lord, we thank you because each and every time that you take over, you give all of us, whether teachers or not teachers, you give all of us something new to ponder, something new, Father, to meditate over, something new, a, a new depth of revelation in terms of who you are and who you want us to be and who you have called us to be and the love that you have for us. Jesus, we could live a million years and not come up with enough words to just say how grateful we are because it says from the foundation of the world, mm. you had already decided that you were going to come and you were going to die for us because you loved us that much, that we were that precious to you and the Father, that relationship with us meant that much that you were able, that you were willing to give up your very life. Lord, we have to admit that the depth of understanding of that is something that we're still trying to get grasp of. And Leona says, we won't ever fully get a grasp of that on this side. But with what we can grasp today, all we can say is just we thank you. We love you. We believe in you. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. Yes, Help us to believe in you more. Help us to believe that you love us unconditionally. Help us to believe that we can love ourselves no matter where we are. Yes, God. And help us then, Lord, to be able to love others because of the love that you have shown for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the, the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the gift of each other because, Lord, we do life together. And in this life that we do together, Holy Spirit, you move and you work amongst us. 
that each of us gives something to the other. And so we thank you, and we understand why Paul says, do not give up meeting together, as some have become in the habit of doing. And we realize there's a spiritual component mm. in that that Paul was talking about. It's not just for fellowship and talking together, but there's something that happens when believers collect together, mm. all moving in the same direction, all wanting to, to be greater in Christ, all wanting more of Christ, all wanting more of God, that the Holy Spirit and God, you do something in the midst of that. So we thank you for that. We just pray a blessing on every household here. And we just thank you and we love you until we see you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.